study everybody it's good to see you tonight i'm gonna take a few moments and pray and ask god's blessing on our time and then get rolling with bible study so let's pray father thanks for uh, just some life tonight we thank you for uh, just a life an abundant life we thank you for a life of purpose a life of meaning we thank you for a life with a future we thank you, God, for redeeming life. We uh, ask, Lord, tonight that we would uh, find rest in your presence and that you would speak, we'd have ears to hear. I pray that uh, we would be open to what you would want to say. Uh, we would be willing to receive whatever revelation that you want to bring. And I just ask you, God, that we respond to you. I pray for change tonight. I pray for fruit tonight. I ask God that uh, you would lead, you would guide. I pray, God, that you would anoint the teaching and that it would have its effect. So have your way tonight. I ask that you be glorified. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. Dot com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study or maybe you have a comment or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. Could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's some located on the tables. Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, if I get a volunteer to read. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. All right, thanks. Uh, there's a few things to unpack in this verse. It seems fairly short, but man, I can make a long one out of anything. So uh, <laughs> let's see what happens. But uh, there's a lot in this, this passage uh, talking about Jesus, and the more we know about Jesus, the more we know about ourselves. The more we know about Jesus, the more we know about God's will and His purposes for our lives. The more we know about Jesus, the more we understand how uh, we are connected to our Father. And so it's important for us to have a better and deeper understanding of who Jesus is. So this is a passage talking about Jesus as mediator or executor, uh, meaning that he puts something into effect. That's what an executor does. Uh, a mediator is someone who's a go-between, uh, bringing people into agreement. So whether you think of him as mediator, of bringing us into agreement with what the Father's doing, or you think of him as the executor of putting something into effect, what it's talking about is our new agreement with the Father that there is a new covenant, there's a new agreement that takes place. And this is a unilateral agreement, meaning that we really don't have anything to say about the conditions of it. Uh, normally contracts, parties get together and they come up with a contract and one side has a few things they want in the contract, the other has a few things they want in the contract. And so they both agree, they, they put it into writing and they sign it and that's a binding agreement. 
Well, with the new covenant, God's covenant with us, he dictates the terms of the, the contract. He just says, okay, well, this is the contract. This is what it is. And uh, it's, it puts it into effect, and we either sign on or not. And, and that's all there is to it. So we do have a choice in it in that we can look at it. We can say, all right, well, this is what I want, and we can sign on to it. Or we just keep going about doing whatever it is we're doing. So it's a unilateral agreement. In other words, he's the one. He's the one that came up with what's in it. He's the one that provided for it. He's the one that fulfilled it. He's the one that brings it into effect. He's the one that makes sure that it has power. He's the one that allows for it to actually have some kind of an effect on our lives it's through what he's done. So it's not only unilateral in the sense that it's his agreement. He wrote it and he dictates the term of it, but he also empowers it. And he also makes it, it gives it some kind of meaning, gives it some kind of power to actually be enforced in our life, in the cosmos, in the universe, across the world, however you want to think about it. He's the one that empowers it so that it actually means something. It's not just a bunch of words, but it's backed by who he is and backed by his power. So Jesus is the mediator of that, meaning part of what he does is he brings us into agreement. And it's interesting when it talks about how he does that, but he brings us into that place, into that place of agreement with that new covenant so that we can actually enjoy it. We can actually live in it. We can actually meet whatever it is that we need to meet about it. And so it's part of his work, part of his function to bring us into agreement with what is going on there. The new covenant is by its very nature a revelation. What do I mean by that? Well, it's God's purposes and God's plan for me and for you. And so I made that personal because I want you to think about this covenant that God has laid out. It's not a covenant that we all, whatever we is, decide we're going to do it. What happens is, is that each of us has to make a decision whether or not we're going to join in with and we're going to partake of this covenant. It's an individual decision. And so each of us has to come to a place in our life where this is for me. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to join into. This is what I agree with. You have to make that decision as an individual. Interestingly, a lot of times people that are brought up in Christian families, they pretty much take it for granted. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Because your dad was, your mom was? It doesn't really work that way. We each have to make some type of an individual decision. We have to come to some kind of an individual conclusion that this is for me. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is what's meeting the needs in my life. And so the new covenant is a revelation because in that new agreement, in that relationship with the Father, God's purposes and plans for me are being shown to me. So in other words, uh, Jesus is executing this plan. Jesus is executing what we would refer to as a new covenant or the new the gospel or the new agreement that we have with the Father. And so he executes that plan and brings revelation into our life. Because if you think about it, if God hadn't spoken, then there'd be nothing to really think about. In other words, if nothing had happened, if there was no covenant, if there was no new covenant, then we really wouldn't be talking about this. There'd be no new revelation. But there is a revelation. And again, it's not a corporate one, like the law was corporate, right? When, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he didn't go to each individual and say, hey, sign on to the Ten Commandments, sign on to the law. It wasn't like that. It was like, all right, we, as all of Israel, this is what's expected of us. 
This is the way we're, these are all the rules that we're supposed to live by. This is all the things that we're supposed to do. These are all the ways that we're supposed to sacrifice. These are all the rules that govern our relationships with one another. These are all the rules that govern the way we eat and, and the way we dress and, and the way that we interact. It's all of us. So as a community, they had to come into some kind of an agreement with that and it became their identity as a community of people. And so there was this, this mass understanding of, okay, this is what's expected of us. This is how we're expected to live. And they all came into that together in the wilderness. Well, the new covenant is not like that. As I was saying, the new covenant is individual. It has to do with you. That was prophesied. It was prophesied by Ezekiel. It was prophesied by Jeremiah, talking about an individual covenant that God is going to make with each of us. And I know we don't think of it that way. We think of, oh, it's this big deal, and it's like we're just this big group like Israel was, but that's not how it really happens. That's not how it happened in your life. That's not how it happened in my life. The reality of it is, is the way that this happens is me, I, as an individual, make a decision for Christ. I make a decision to enter into that relationship. I make a decision to enter into that agreement with God. And you make a decision to enter into that agreement with God. And we gather, but we gather as individuals who have made our decisions in order, my decision, your decision, his decision, her decision, to enter into that agreement with God. And there's something significant about that because my relationship isn't your relationship. And your relationship isn't my relationship. And so my experience with Jesus is going to be different than your experience with Jesus, at least somewhat, because it's very individual. And it's very much something that is between you and him. And so understanding that is to understand Jesus's work as the go-between, because he's literally the go-between you and the Father. He's the go-between me and the Father. He's also the go-between me and you. And as weird as that sounds, that's the way it is. That every relationship that we find ourselves in, whether it be between us and God or one another, is mediated by Christ, if it's appropriate. So uh, a lot of times, this is a principle that Dietrich Bonhoeffer expound, expounded upon in The Cost of Discipleship. A lot of times I'll draw a picture of an individual inside of a plastic ball, like a hamster ball. If you've ever seen a hamster ball, you put a hamster in it, you close it, and the hamster can run all over the house, but he's inside of a plastic ball. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. All right. So imagine the hamster in the ball. This is how I explain this. So everything that hamster, every place that hamster goes, everything that hamster touches is mediated by the plastic ball, if it's appropriate. So I got my plastic ball, you got your plastic ball. His name is Jesus. All right, so I'm in my relationship with Jesus. You're in your relationship with Jesus. And so my relationship with the Father comes from within that relationship with Jesus, and so that relationship is mediated between me and the Father through Jesus. My plastic ball runs into your plastic ball. Then my relationship with you is mediated appropriately through Jesus. And even my relationship to the outside world, people that I come into contact with, whoever that is, Somebody I work with, somebody I go to school with, somebody I meet on the street. My little plastic balls rolling down the sidewalk. Boom, I hit somebody. They're not in a plastic ball because they don't know Jesus. But they're just standing there. So my plastic ball comes up against them. I'm still being mediated through Jesus. And this is the nature of, according to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and as we see through the understanding of the gospel and the new covenant, that's the nature of our relationships if they're going to be appropriate. And so what ends in our life, if we choose this, if this is the way we're going to choose to live, 
are what we're going to call direct relationships. In other words, everything, every relationship I'll ever have, if I'm going to live in this covenant with the Father, is going to be mediated through Christ. But that's my choice. I want that. I want Jesus to mediate my relationships. I want Jesus to be a go-between. I want Jesus to, to bring about an appropriate understanding and an appropriate relationship between me and the people that are around me. I want that. And so not only do I submit to that, I take comfort in that. And I obtain joy in that and peace and rest that my relationships are being mediated by one that's a lot better than me. He's a lot smarter and he's a lot more powerful and he's a lot more loving than I am and a lot more merciful than I am. Yes? What do you mean by appropriate? <laughs> well, because we can have inappropriate relationships, which would be in this scenario, like in this particular, what I'm talking about, it would be like if I had a direct relationship with somebody. In other words, I wasn't mediating my relationship through Jesus. So that's kind of how we get in trouble. It's like I decide, oh, I'm going to just enter in a relationship with this person, not through the mediation of Jesus, but just enter into that relationship with that person. That's how we get in trouble. And that's inappropriate because we're not that good at it. And so because we're not that good at it, it, it leads to harmful relationships. It leads to abusive relationships. It leads to relationships that cause problems not only in my life, but in the other person's life. And it's not too hard to understand what I'm saying. It, this happens a lot when people, you know, that they fall in love, right? Instead of asking Jesus about it, instead of letting Jesus mediate that issue for them, they just find somebody, oh, he's cute or she's cute, and, you know, I'm going to go out with them. And then, well, it's just for fun. And then it's just for fun. And then it's just for fun. And all of a sudden, you're just connected to the person. Connected how? Directly. Is that through Jesus? No. All right. So that's what becomes the inappropriate. All right. That is the inappropriate. So if I want, let's say I want a relationship with somebody, so I'm praying about it. It's like, yeah, all right. And what about that person? They're praying about it? Cool. All right. Well, that relationship, as we're brought together, needs to be mediated in Jesus. And if it's not mediated in Jesus, in other words, there's no coming together through Jesus like that. That's the inappropriate part. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if this makes sense or not, but I feel like I do that like quite often where like I'm asking God like who he wants me to talk to and who he doesn't. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly. And it, it mostly comes down to I don't want to get like hurt or injured, and I know there is protection in, in, in God, and so I know that if I move at his pace, like I'm less likely to get injured, or if I am, he'll, you know, right. see that or he'll see me through that. that yeah, there, there's, a, there's a safety in it, and that's, that's, there's a safety for you, but there's also a safety for the other person, too. You know, not that any of us are mean or anything, but, you know, it, <laughs> we, we don't always know what's best. And, and so for us to, for me to pretend like I know what's best for this person, I don't know what's best for that person. So I'm going to let Jesus mediate that. Yeah. Anyway, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And so the mediation is an important part of the work of Jesus. And so understanding who he is, he's, and I hope if you heard me right, he's intimately involved in our lives. And he wants to be more involved in our lives. And so he's willing to, he's not too busy to, he's willing to be intimately involved in our friendships, in our relationships. And it's up to us to give him place. It's up to us to give 
place to his voice, to his leading, to his peace, his comfort, his rest. It's up to us to uh, listen to what he has to say and be obedient. That's up to us. And so this agreement is being mediated through, by, with him. And that's part of all his function is, is as executor. He's putting into effect the reality of our agreement with the Father. So God's made this agreement with us through him, and Jesus is putting that into effect in our lives. So that's a, he's putting into effect in our relationship with the Father, and he's putting it into effect in our relationships with other people. As long as he's the mediator. And if you understand what I mean, then, again, there's a lot of safety in that for you and others. There's a lot of peace in that. There's a lot of rest in that. There's a lot of joy in that. There's a lot of comfort in that. It takes away some of the stress that we feel sometimes, not knowing what to do. It takes away some of the discomfort we have, feeling like we might be overstepping because we might be. I don't know. But we allow ourselves to be led. We allow ourselves to be to, to find ourselves in Jesus and allow him to lead us when, how, who, and let him mediate those relationships. So the little plastic ball. All right, I know it's a crude it, it's a crude way of seeing it, but hopefully it illustrates something that you can still get around and you can still go do what you need to do and you can still get about your business every day and you can still go where you need to go and do what you need to do, but you can do all that in Jesus. And it's a good place to be. It's a protected place to be. And so within that agreement, again, God's plan for us. What's his plan? What's his purpose for your life? Well, that's in the agreement. That's part of the revelation because it's such an individual covenant, such an individual agreement that God makes in that and encased in that are his purposes and his plans for our lives. And that becomes the revelation. And so the, the word new describing the new covenant is an interesting word because most of the places in the Bible where it talks about new, it would be whatever you would think the definition of new is, like like brand new, like it's fresh, you know, and that, that's why when you read the word new most of the time in the Bible, that's what it is. In this case, the word that's used for the word new uh, means a covenant newly made, literally young, having all the freshness of youth. And so it's contrasting with the old, the worn out, and the dying. So new in this particular case is talking about life, and it's talking about youth, and it's talking about something new like that, like fresh, living fresh, and, and not dying, and not old, and not stale, and, and, and not rotting, and not moldy but something really, really fresh and new and young and vital. It's the freshness of youth. And so that's what it's talking about. And there's something to me about that that makes it attractive. It just makes it attractive. Because it's not the same old. It's not the same thing just repackaged. So is that continually? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the fountain of new, the fountain of youth, yeah. And so constantly living. And that's the thing that I don't think most people understand about our faith. Our faith, we don't, we don't have a stagnant faith. We don't have an institutional faith. That's not what we are. That the new covenant, new understanding of our relationship with the Father is living, it's organic. It's not mechanistic. It's not something that just got put into, put into motion and that was it and that machine's just been running the whole time. It's not like that, but it's dynamic and it's fresh 
and it's new every day. And so because of that, we need to live that way. And we need to live in our understanding of God that way. And we need to respond to the Father that way, in a living way. It's not just the same patterns all the time. The church, the church is an institution, and institutions perpetuate themselves. And the way the institutions perpetuate themselves is through doing the same things over and over and over again. That's how institutions perpetuate themselves. And so that's what the church does. And so that's where things like ritual comes from. And that's where, they, you know, it seems like nothing ever changes. And it takes so long to bring a change into something. And it takes so long to affect anything. And everything takes forever to do. And everything takes forever to ever come about. And you can start doing something today, but it won't happen for another three years. That's the church. And and I, you know, I'm not trying to, to, to badmouth the church necessarily. I'm just saying that's what institutions do. But that's not what we're really part of here. In, in this section of Scripture, that's not what we're part of. That this is talking about our living relationship. This is talking about our lives joined with the ever-living God. It's about something that's fresh and something's new. You get up every day, there's something new. You get up every day, you get to find out something new about Jesus if you really want to. Every day you get up, you get to find out something new about the Father if you really want to. You might be led down a path you never walked down before today. If you really want to, if you're willing to do it, yeah, he's willing to do that. He's willing to bring you into relationships that you would never have without him. If he wasn't mediating those relationships, you wouldn't have those relationships. But he's willing to do that if you're willing I've met the most interesting people through Jesus. I mean, just weird people, cool people, powerful people, you know, just the most interesting people because it's living. And so you fight the institution. You fight the human tendency. You fight all the stuff that makes you feel all warm and comfy all the time. To maybe allow for some life and something new and something fresh and something living today. Because that's what I see God has for us is new and fresh and living today. And so the Bible talks about his blood, Jesus' blood. That his blood speaks. And there's another place in the Bible where it talks about blood speaking. And at least one other place. There's more than that. But there's one other I'm thinking of. And that was the blood of Abel. That when Cain killed his brother Abel, it said that Abel's blood cried out from the ground. It spoke. And so that ideas being used here about the blood of Jesus and it's saying the blood of Jesus speaks and the blood of Jesus what the blood of Jesus speaks is it speaks about and it cries out grace and mercy and forgiveness and so what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is that he's contrasting the blood of Jesus with the blood of Abel because the blood of Abel cried out for what? Hmm? What? Vengeance. vengeance. The, blood of, the, the blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. Because his brother unexpectedly rose up and just killed him. And when his blood was spilled on the ground, it's described as crying out for vengeance. And so I want you to put those two things together. I want you to think about... And this may have something to do with some of the things that we were talking, that we heard about yesterday. I want you to think about vengeance and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's vengeance. In other words, if somebody takes your eye, you take their eye. Somebody takes your tooth, you take their tooth. Somebody takes your finger, you take their finger. That's vengeance. And in the strength of human beings, that could be called Justice. 
Now, as New Testament believers, we look at that. We may not agree with that, but I'm just saying that in the strength of human beings, and you look at our history and you look at where we came from, and you look at our societies, the way they were developed, many societies were developed and many societies continue by their law to do this. They will take vengeance on a person for something that they've done. Give me an example of that. The death penalty. I'm not telling you I'm against the death penalty. I'm not telling you I'm for the death penalty. All I'm telling you is if you kill somebody, states have death penalties, what can they do to you? Put you to death. It's a life for a life. You understand what I'm saying? This is a part, it's codified into our, our legal systems. All right? For better or for worse, it's codified into our legal systems. And so human beings have an understanding of that. Well, that's what the blood of Abel cries. The blood of Abel cries for vengeance. It cries for an eye for an eye. It cries for a tooth for a tooth. And there's something in us, especially if you have a high degree of justice, and some of us operate in a higher degree of justice than others. If you operate in a high degree of justice, there's something about that that appeal to you. Be like, yeah. As long as you're not the one, <laughs> as long as you're not the one that messed up. That appeals. I was like, yeah. You know, there's societies, if you steal something, what's going to happen? They'll shut your hand off, right? Huh? And there's something that's appealing about that to people with like a high, they operate in a high degree of justice. And so, yeah, all right. So that's a human thing. And so the blood of Abel cries out, and some of us can hear that really clearly. We hear that. We hear that vengeance. We hear that eye for an eye. We hear that tooth for a tooth. We hear that. And yet, the blood of Jesus is crying out something else, is speaking something else. The blood of Jesus is speaking mercy and forgiveness and grace. And here's the issue that we have. The issue that we have is that we hear Abel's blood crying for vengeance. That's the old covenant, right? That's the law. The law was you do this, you get that. You break this, this is what's going to happen to you. Here's a line. If you cross that line, you're in trouble. You stay on your side of the line. You can do whatever you want on your side of the line. Just don't cross that line, all right? You might be a terrible person, but if you don't cross that line, you're okay, because that's what the law is. And so it gives you that parameter. And so you stay on your side. You think of it as a fence. You stay inside your fence. The minute you climb over that fence, you're in trouble. But whatever you do inside that fence, well, whatever. You're a terrible person. Yeah, but I'm still inside the fence. Right. Right. Very good. Very good. So you climb over that fence. You break that. Well, now you're in trouble. All right, well, that's not... That's not Jesus. And so if you've got that in your mind, this is a problem. This is a problem when people who have that sense of justice in their mind try to preach the gospel. There's a problem. And the problem is this. The blood of Jesus does not, does not speak that. The blood of Jesus speaks mercy and forgiveness and grace. So, if you're approaching Jesus with whatever you're hearing the blood of Abel saying and you can't hear what he's saying, you're not going to understand the gospel. And your life is going to be kind of mixed up. It's going to be mixed up. Because you're not really letting him be the mediator. You are mediating in your own strength. And you're mediating in your own smarts. And you're mediating in your own sense of justice. And you're mediating in what you think is right. And the Bible's pretty clear about us not really understanding what's right. We're just not, not good at it. The knowledge of good and evil was sin. That was the original sin. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They weren't supposed to eat of that tree. They did. So then, our, oh, now, oh, bad, good, bad, good. Blood of Abel, bad. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, oh, Cain, you're bad. All right. 
the, the, the problem with that is high, high degree, high sense of justice, that's not what the gospel's about. And so people that try to mediate themselves with Jesus, well, I'm just doing it my way. Yeah, whatever. You're going to have a hard time really receiving of the grace and mercy and love that God has for you. Because somewhere along the line, that has to conflict with your high sense of justice. Somewhere. And understand it's a double-edged sword. You're holding people to standards that you can't meet. You're holding people to standards that you've already failed at. And at some point, that causes a crisis. It's, it's like, you know, man, you know, people should be nicer. Well, why aren't you nice? Well, right, there's a crisis in that. It's like, people are jerks. Yeah, well, you're a jerk. And then, so you reach a point of crisis with that. It's like, well, then what do we do? Well, that's the point of Jesus. That's the point why his blood speaks mercy and his blood speaks grace and his blood speaks forgiveness is because that's what we need. But not only do we need that from him, mediator, right? Not only do we need that from him, but we need that in one another's lives too. Mediator. Are you following? You see, that's why relation, it's important our relationships are mediated. Because it's, it's grace and it's mercy. It's love. That, that's what he that's what his blood speaks. And so as he mediates, he mediates through that lens. And he allows for that. You want to you try to mediate your relationships by the law of the jungle? You want to try to mediate your relationships in the strength of man? Well, everybody's a failure and so are you. Nobody's ever kept the law. Nobody. Nobody has ever been able to do it. Jesus is the only perfect person that ever walked the face of the earth. Not you. And so you have already failed at that, and the people around you are going to fail at that, and the people around you are going to continue to fail at that, and your family members are going to fail at that. You're going to fail at that. And so what do we got? We got crisis. We got anger. We got bitterness. We got unforgiveness. Why? Because you failed. They failed. Well, that's going to happen. That's why you got to mediate that. That's why you allow for the mediation in your family of Jesus. You got to allow for the mediation in your friendships with Jesus. You got to allow for the mediation of Jesus in your relationship with the Father. You've already failed. And all those people around you have already failed. And without that mediation, where's the safety? Without that mediation, where 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 is the peace? Where is the love? It, it's there. It's within that. And so as his blood cries out, as his blood speaks, we gotta hear that. We gotta hear grace, and we gotta hear mercy, and we gotta hear forgiveness. We gotta hear it. Yeah. So in in relationship with people then, if only one side is a believer, for example, my son uh -huh. and myself, like if, is Jesus still the mediator or is in that relationship if one is not a participant? He's the mediator from your perspective out. So in other words, I can't tell you what your son sees and hears. I can only tell you what you're able to see and hear through the mediation of Jesus. So you're the beneficiary of that, being able to see and hear through his mediation and to speak through his mediation, but I can't tell you what your son hears, sees. I don't know. And that's the issue with it. In other words, you may be speaking through that mediation and, and Jesus, you're, you're listening, you're saying, what do you want me to say about this? You say what you're supposed to say, but they may hear something completely different. I can't, I can't even answer that. 
because people that are trying to do this in their own strength, they're they're influenced by what? Bitterness, anger, frustration, the past, um, I don't know, hurts, expectations. And it's the buffer of Jesus that helps us in that. Because we all have pasts and we all have hurts and we all have those kind of things too. But he's the buffer on that. So. But right. Now I mentioned the word new here. Was uh, youth. Vibrant. That kind of thing. The word also means native. Born living. And it's what God intends. It's what he intended, and it's what he intends. And so as a restoration through the new agreement, through the new covenant of what God intended in his creation. It's what he wants. Uh, several places, the old covenant is described as in terms of a placeholder like holding things for a certain time, for a certain moment, waiting for Jesus, basically. And so then, after Jesus, God's in the business of restoring his created order. He's restoring the way that he wanted things from the beginning. He's restoring our relationship with him. He's restoring his relationship with us. He's restoring our relationships with one another. But it's through Jesus. And it's through that mediation that we really can do that with any meaning in our lives. The only example I can give of this is uh, I can talk about my relationship with my mother. And I'm not going to go too deep into this, but my relationship with my mother was fractured from a very early age and never really restored. And after I became a Christian... It was within a few years that that became a focal point in my talking to Jesus and praying is that, man, I need to forgive my mother. And I don't know, I kind of know why, but it was just so central to my prayer time and so central to what Jesus was leading me into that it just seemed like that until that was taken care of, until that question was answered, that I wouldn't really be able to move into any kind of fullness of what God had for me. Because there's just something about our relationships with our parents and that's just really central to God and what he does. You look at uh, honor your father and your mother so that things will go well with you. It's the only commandment with promise. If you can honor your father and your mother, things will go well with you in the land that God's going to give you. If you don't honor your father and your mother, things don't go well. And that's not to make anybody feel guilty or anything. We all have you know, our issues and everything. All I'm saying is that for me, and that's all I'm speaking to right now, me, it became a central thing in my prayer life until it was taken care of. And that took place over a period of a couple of years. Where I would pray every day, and I would I'd say these words, I, I forgive my mom. I didn't mean it even at the beginning. I just knew that I, I knew I had to do it. And I, I didn't mean it. And and so I was praying. I was praying for grace. I was praying for love. I was praying for forgiveness. I was praying for mercy. I was praying for all those things to fill my heart toward her. And I'd always end all those prayers saying, I forgive my mom, not meaning a word of it for I don't know how long. Until one day I'm in it. When did that happen? I don't know. I, I prayed the same time every day in my car driving to work. A Chevy Chevette with no heat <laughs> and only high beams. I didn't have any low beams. <laughs> I had toilet t- wet toilet tissue stuck to my high beams in the front of the car so they wouldn't blind the people I was coming across. Yeah. No heat, man. I had, fro- I had ice on the floor of my car all winter because the water would get in, you know. I had holes in the floorboard. So my Chevy, uh, so I can give you the, the, the place I was in. I don't know when, but one day in my Chevy Chevette, 
my freezing cold Chevy Chevette that I had to scrape the inside of the windows on with no low beams. Uh, I meant it one day. And things changed. Things changed. But it took a few years from the change in the actual relationship with my mom. But it changed. So the reason I brought that up and the reason I'm bringing that up is that I don't know that that would have ever happened apart from the mediation of Jesus in my life. I doubt it would have. I doubt it. There was nothing in me that would have done that. Zero. But Jesus in me can do anything. And I think he's in the business of fixing stuff and of mediating stuff and being a good executor of what God has for my life. And so there was obviously something that God had for my life that depended on that getting straightened out, and it did. So that's one thing. And I just give that as to you as a, a simple example. And that's not a guilt trip on you. I, I, I don't know your story. That ain't nothing. That, that's just him talking to me as an individual. Remember I said this individual? That ain't him talking to you. That's him talking to me and what I had to do. But you need to get a hold of that. What do you need to do? What kind of dynamic work is Jesus doing in your life, not only with your relationship with the Father, but a dynamic work with what he would be doing in your relationship with the people around you? And I want to encourage you to listen less to the blood of Abel and listen more to the blood of Jesus. I know that sounds weird, right? But you understand in context to what we're looking at tonight? To listen more to the blood of Jesus, which is speaking grace and mercy and forgiveness, and listen less to the blood of Abel, which is crying out for vengeance. What do you think is something that's easier to hear? Somebody's crying out or someone just talking? What's going to get your attention first? Yeah. Yeah, you got to filter. You got a filter. You got you, you can make a choice. You gonna listen at the loudest, or you gonna listen to the most important? You gonna listen to the one that sounds the most urgent, or you gonna listen to the one that you know is right? And so I want to encourage you to listen to the voice of the one that you know is right, and let that dominate your relationships. Let that dominate your life. And not that loud, cry, urgent cry for vengeance. Let it go. And let it fade. I work in a place that plays music that I hate. I'm just telling you right now. I hate it. And it's only about 80% of the time. But I hate it. And so after a while... It's even though it's loud and obnoxious, I don't hear it anymore. I just don't. Unless someone points it out. Then I hear it and remember why I hate it and stop listening to it. So if you can do that, and which we can, we have the capacity to do that. You have the capacity to do that. To hear the voice that matters. To hear the voice of healing. Hear the voice of love. Hear the voice of life. Hear the voice of restoration. Hear the voice of reconciliation. Yeah. That's the voice you want to hear. That's the voice of the blood of Jesus. The rest is all human for sure, but that ain't where we're at now. That's not where we're at. When we made that decision individually to come into relationship with Christ, 
man, we came into a new place. So we need something new happening through us. Letting go of that old, not listening to that old anymore, and taking on the new stuff that Jesus has for us. Some of your versions, when it talks about the blood of Jesus speaking, describes it as better. I don't know if your Bible says that, but that's better. And the word is awesome because it's not, it's more powerful, number one. Better is more powerful. That's part of the meaning of it. But it's also, the idea is not for wrath but for cleansing. And the whole idea of it, the idea of better here, is simplicity. And I want to leave you with that thought. Simplicity. I am a firm believer that God is leading us to a place of simplicity. I just believe that. I don't think the gospel is complicated. I don't think our relationship with Jesus is complicated. I don't think our relationship with the Father is complicated. I don't think understanding God's will and purpose for our life is complicated. I think the church can complicate anything. And I think it serves the purposes of the church to complicate everything. Because then they can be the ones to tell you what it means. But I really believe that the way the gospel was laid out, I believe the way that Jesus spoke it, I believe the way that Jesus taught it, it was very simple that the masses could understand it. I don't think it requires some special interpretation. And so I choose not to give away that. I don't give away that power. I don't give away that right. I don't give away that, that privilege I have of just hearing the voice of Jesus and following after it. Because I think there's a simplicity in that. I think there's a simplicity in the gospel. There's a simplicity in forgiveness. There's a simplicity in grace. There's a sim simplicity in love. I just believe it. And I think the only reason we complicate his will and purposes for our lives is because we don't want to do it. And so if you can complicate it, then you don't have to do anything. And, and I, I believe that. I've always believed that. You know, it's like, hey, why aren't you going after what God said? Well, now I think he said blah, blah, blah. Or, or I, I can't determine if he said this or that. Or, you know, this is the same conversation we had a week ago where you were sure what he said. Now you don't know. Why don't you know? Because you don't want to do it. Okay. I'm okay with that. I'd rather hear that than this other line of utter malarkey. That's what it is. So if you don't want to do it, just don't do it. Okay? If you don't want to do it, just say, I don't want to do it. I know what he wants. I don't want to do it. Okay. What am I going to tell you? Rebellious is a sin of witchcraft, brother. No, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to say, whatever, man. We make our decisions, right? But at least it's honest. I'd rather be honest about it than just making stuff up. I'd rather be honest about it than making God look like, well, he just makes it so complicated I can't understand it. It ain't his fault. He ain't making it that complicated. That's me. Because I want to do it. Put the responsibility where it belongs. Me. I don't want to do it. Okay. There's been things that God told me I didn't want to do. It happens. I'd rather have something honest about it. I'd rather say it honestly than just continue on in some blame game with a perfect being who can't be to blame. So, hmm, simplicity. And that's the idea I want to leave you with right now, is simplicity. Because I want to take a few minutes and pray, and I want to encourage you to just simply lay down. You, you got that high degree of justice, whatever is going on in your brain. You got all that? 
I just want to encourage you to lay that down. And I want you to simply attune your ear to the blood of Jesus instead of the blood of Abel. Try ignoring the blood of Abel tonight. Just ignore it. It's crying out. Blah, blah. Ignore it. And really focus your attention on the blood of Jesus. And hear mercy and hear grace and hear forgiveness. And let that get in between you and the Father. And let that get in between you and your family. And let that get in between you and the people you work with. And between you and the people you're friends with. And between you and the people that you're romantically interested in. And between you and the people that you're going to meet on the street tomorrow. Let that get in between. And let him be the mediator. The mediator. That he is anointed and he's made to be for our lives. Let's keep it simple. So Heavenly Father, as we sit before tonight, I pray that uh, we'd shut out. We'd shut out the cries of the voice of Abel for vengeance. Vengeance, vengeance. God, you said vengeance is yours. That's not ours. That you do whatever you're going to do, that's not really our business. But instead of hearing that cry from the blood of Abel, I pray that we can block that, give it a shot right now, block that, and hear the voice of your blood saying forgiveness and mercy and grace and love. Because it's better, it's better, and it's more simple. So God, I pray that we would allow for that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness to get in between our relationship with you, our relationship with the Father. I pray for that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness to get in between us and our families. I pray that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness to get in between us and our co-workers, our schoolmates, our friends, our acquaintances. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. I pray you calm our minds tonight. Just calm our minds. And I pray for a simplicity of life and a simplicity of love to reign. Thanks. Thanks. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for being a mediator. Thank you for being our, our advocate. We thank you, God, for being in between us and all the stress and all the worry and all the things that come from direct relationships. We thank you. Thanks for being our buffer. pray we find rest in you tonight. And we give you thanks. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Alright, bless you guys. Good to see you tonight. See you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies.
That's good. He's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. 